Blessed Assurance and welcome to Kingdom Christian Fellowship, KCF. We reveal the reality of the Kingdom of God and Christ Jesus in the lives of people all over the world. As you listen to this message, we pray that you are blessed and inspired to improve your relevance in the Kingdom of God. In the mighty name of Jesus, have we prayed. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Hallelujah. I bring you greetings also from our Father in the Lord, Apostle Kinsley J. Godson. And from all the pastors and all the ministers um, at Zion Impact Ministries and in KCF together. Amen. All right, this morning I have a very short message to speak with you, and then we will just pray for a short while, and then we are done. Amen. And so, please bear with me. In the next 39 minutes and 45 seconds, we'll be done. So you can start timing me when I'm done with the message. This morning, I want to speak to you about your walk with God. Your walk with God. I know you have been going through certain teachings. Um, but please permit me to come at it from this angle and then we will see um, what God also has for us as children of God. Now the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18. Have these screens always been here? No. Wow. Just last week. Wow. So you are confirming the scripture that I want us to read. The Bible says that the path of the just is like the shining sun. That shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. So God is telling us here in the word is that anybody who is righteous, anybody who comes to Christ and accepts Christ as their Lord and as their Savior, the Bible says that your path must shine brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. No believer comes to Christ or comes to God and their light begins to wane or their light begins to grow dim. No. It is expected that for everyone who is a believer, your path must shine brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. So in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, the Bible says that God says that I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans of good and not of evil. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, God has good plans for me. Oh, turn to the other neighbor and that's I say, God has good plans for me. So, it is not necessarily the plans of your parents that you are expected to live by. It is the plans of God. So, maybe you may be born and maybe you never met your parents or maybe you were adopted, so to speak. And you think that maybe for you, you are an afterthought. I came here to tell you that God says that I know the thoughts that I think toward you. He says that they are of good or of peace and they are not of evil. And he says that their plans are also to give you a future and a hope. Anybody who comes to God, God is looking to present you with a future and a hope. And so this is the mind of God. This is the agenda of God for every believer. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7, Jesus Christ um, um, made a profound statement which, when he was quoting from the book of Psalms. He said that, I have come in the volume of the book to do your will. 
That means for every believer and for every child of God, it is the mind of God that you will do God's will. And what is God's will? God's will is that good plan, that good future, that good hope, that expected end. And God says that we are all required as children of God to do his will. So when we come into the world, I know a lot of us, we have our own ambitions. We have our own drive. We have our own visions, so to speak. But it really doesn't matter to God. Maybe in the mind of God, God wants you to be a businessman. And you say, I want to be a pastor. It sounds like a very noble thing to be a pastor. But that is not the mind of God for you. Maybe God wants you to be a hairdresser. And you say you want to be an engineer. That example wasn't good. (laughs) But if you decide to become that engineer, and it can be a very powerful one, it doesn't matter. You have missed the will of God for your life. Because that's not the future and that's not the hope that God wants you to have. So you see how a lot of time our preconceived notions, it really undermines the will of God for our life. Because when I give that example, some people are thinking hairdresser over engineer. But do you know there are hairdressers like first choice? They have shops in the mall. And they are doing big things. So it's about the will of God for your life and finding that path that God wants you to chart. So he said that I have come in the volume of the book. I have come to do your will. And we see a classic example in the life of Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. In fact, he has all the power that God has. But the Bible says when he came into the world, he did not come and do his will. The Bible said in the book of Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, he said that I really want to do my will. I really want to marry this lady because she is very fine and has all the shape that I'm looking for. But irrespective of my preferences and my desires, Father, whatever you have for me, I'll choose that thing. So this morning, that's a short question that I have for us. How many of us can say, I will pick what God wants me to have over what I want to have? And you see, many of us, we are walking in our own way. We are walking in our own path. And we think that because it is our choice and all the provision is available for us right now, we'll be able to get to that expected end. But that is not the work of the believer. The Bible said that for the one who calls himself a believer, your path must shine brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. And I'm submitting to you that you cannot submit the light Or you cannot bring the light that will make your path brighter and brighter. Even ECG and VRA combined cannot make your path brighter and brighter. It takes a greater light, which is the light of God, to make your light brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. The Bible says that there was a certain gentleman by the name Paul, or he was called Saul before. And Saul thought that I am right in my own eyes. I am walking the path that God expects me to walk on. In fact, When I look at my journey, when I look at my family, when I look at where I'm coming from, I am the best. I am the creme de la creme. If you look at the book of Philippians chapter 3, I believe verse 6, he begins to praise himself and tell you about where he's from. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. When we are talking about Roman citizens, I am one of the most privileged Roman citizens. 
When it comes to those who are Pharisees of the law, oh, forget about it. I'm the best Pharisee you can think about. When we are talking about true Israelites, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. He began to list his CV. I've worked at Goldman Sachs. I went to VRA. I went to the Ministry of Fishery. I've worked in all the big places you can think of. So you cannot deny me this job, God. It is my own. But the Bible says, if you look at the next verse, he said that I counted all of these accolades, all of these privileges, all of this upbringing, the wealth of my family. He said, I count it as loss. In fact, if we are to study the life of Paul, for him to have the kind of citizenship that he had, you had to pay so much for the Roman citizenship. So Paul was likely from a very wealthy family. But he said, I don't care about my father's money. I don't care about my mother's money. All I care about is about the will of God. But you see, Paul didn't just arrive there in a second. It also took him to encounter the great lights that I'm talking about. The Bible said in the book of Acts chapter 26 verse 13 that he said, as I was on the journey, he was recounting his story to the king. He said, I saw a light and this light was brighter than the midday sun. And he said that the light began to speak. A mystery. How can the light speak? But he said the light began to speak and the light told him, Saul, Saul, why are you following your own way? Saul, Saul, why are you choosing your own will? Saul, Saul, why do you want this girl for yourself? Saul, Saul, why are you choosing this particular program? And everybody, we have that encounter, what we call the Damascus experience. Where God's bright light, it shines on you and tells you that you need to go in the right path. So when we come to the book of Acts chapter 9 verse 5, come to the book of Acts chapter 9 verse 6. The Bible says that God asks Saul very profound questions. Two questions. Just two questions. And these two questions they became the point of inflection for Saul. Said that he became a, gen, a, a, a mighty person in the, in the arms of God or in the hands of God. The Bible said the first question God asked him. He said, Acts 9 verse 5. Acts 9 5. He said, who are you Lord? Saul asked God, who are you Lord? And the Bible said that Christ revealed himself and said that I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But didn't the same Saul say that he was fighting for the kingdom of God? Wasn't he killing people who were off their way because he was a Pharisee? Because he knew the law of God better than anybody. In fact, he was taught under one of the greatest lawyers by the name Gamaliel. So he understood the Bible more than anybody. But the Bible said that when he met Christ, he began to ask, then that means this guy I've been preaching about, I, I really don't know him. So he said, Saul, I am Jesus. The one you claim that you are fighting for, but rather you are persecuting me. And many of us are like Saul. We claim to be fighting for God and fighting for God's agenda. But we are really persecuting God. And you may not be doing it in a very painful way like Saul. But maybe for you, your way is that you are choosing your own will. You are choosing your own choices over what God has for you and for your life. And so it takes us coming into a true encounter of who Jesus is for us to be able to start to reorient our mindset. So the Bible said when Christ had spoken to him and told him that I am Jesus, the person that you claim you are fighting for. 
and rather what you are doing is you are going to you are, fight, you are trying to fight an impossible battle in other words you are persecuting or you are kicking against the goat what he was just trying to say is that what you are trying to do it will never work in fact the more you kill people the more i'll let people give birth so you have to be doing a lot of killing to finish all the work that you are trying to do and we saw that from the days of moses we saw that in the days of jesus you can be a herod you can be a pharaoh whatever you try to do the agenda of god will be made manifest then the second question he asks is in the verse 6 acts chapter 9 verse 6 he said so he trembled and he said what do you want me to do what do you want me to do that means before all this time Saul had been doing what he wants to do and not what God wants him to do and many of us again we are just like Saul at this point where we are doing what we want to do we follow our body we follow our flesh we follow our mind we do anything we want to do oh I feel like sleeping with Pamela Pamela come and then you do what you want to do feel like I should be dating Veronica. Hey, Veronica, today you are my own. And sometimes we pursue that agenda with all the strength that is within us. Yeah. Me, I like girls. I like to advise girls. I tell you, hey, be careful of boys. Especially if you are not in that season. Be careful of girls. Especially since I had a daughter. It has even increased. And now my, 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 my sense of protection for girls has increased like 100 I mean, guys, you, you know yourselves. Let, let's be honest. Let's assume the girls are not in the room. You know how it's like when you say that this girl, I'll chase her. Oh, first they'll start, they'll come and sit by you in the D-lab. Oh, can you help me do this thing? Meanwhile, he knows the assignment already, but he's setting the tone for what is going to be his vision. Oh, Next time you'll be in the cafeteria, you'll leave the class, lecture on 115, and come and sit at a corner of you. Oh, I was trying to get um, a cup of um, um, espresso, and I said that, oh, let me just sit by you. Then by the third time, oh, I was sending a mail, and then, you know, Outlook messed up, and I sent you the email. But you see, slowly, he's building his way to come to your, your space. By the time you realize he's on campus, you tell, oh, I'm actually, I've moved off campus right now. He's just getting closer and closer. By the time you realize this guy and this guy and the lady become friends, how did it happen? You don't know, but somebody knew about it. And that's how sometimes we chase the things that we want to chase. Yeah. The, the, the guy said, they know it's true. Yeah, we've had a conversation about this, so we know it. And even the lady is the same. Maybe you know that, Charlie, this guy. It's not good for me, but you know what? I, when I see the beard and the way he even put the gold chain around him, I say, No. Or you misspec. Or you taste. Ah! When I see the gold around him, he's like Otunfo. So you see that this sister, when she comes to class, she'll always come and sit by him. Then she'll cross her leg. Hey! Small leg game. Then you see that the brother will also be looking small, small. By the time you realize, oh, the brother is always in her room. But she had an end game to it. And that is how many of us, we follow all that we want to do. 
at the expense of what God would have us do. So the Bible said, Saul, he was doing all that he wanted. In fact, he went before the high priest. He said, give me letters. Give me letters. My company, I've put my company on hold. Give me the letters. I'll go and kill them. Yeah. That's what Saul was doing. He said, I, I'm, I don't want to be a tent maker. I want to be a murderer. I want to kill Christians. I've changed the narrative of the story for you so that you appreciate it. Yeah, because when he finished killing um, Stephen in the book of Acts chapter 7, he realized that, hey, this thing is very nice. Yeah. In those days, when they gave you the coat of the person, it stood to signify that you are the one who gave the command for the killing. So he was in charge. He said, hey, stone the guy. And, and, and the way Stephen was killed, for those of you who read the Bible and you don't try to study about it, they will put you in a pit. And when they put you in the pit, they don't just throw the stones. Everybody aims for your head. Yeah. It's not like he was, you know how nowadays when they are lynching people, the person can be standing with you and then you throw the stone from... No. When I put you in the pit, automatically I've made it easier for me to aim at you. And then when they put him in the pit, everybody aims for your head. And we, do, we are not talking about stones that are maybe pebbles. No, we are talking about stones like this size. And we are all aiming for your head. Imagine 10 people you are in a pit and we are aiming for your head. If you can survive, I wonder who you are. And so Saul was at the charge of doing these kind of things. He was the one who led the killing of Stephen and many other people. But when he met Christ, he said that, Father, all these things that I've been doing, I thought I was doing it out of the conscience of my heart, out of the purity of my mind. Oh, after all, this lady, she's, she's, she's in KCF. She's innocent. She sings in the choir. She smiles nicely. It's not like she's one of the bad girls. So if I'm chasing her, you don't even have to do a lot of deliverance. She's already good. Thank God that you are not God. And so many of us, we are following our own will. So the Bible said, when Saul came to this encounter, he said, Lord, what would you want me to do? And Jesus Christ today didn't spare him. He said, you, hey, after the things you have done to my people, you, you suffer for my sake. But it didn't deter the guy at all. In fact, he died at the age of around 60. And when he was about to die, they were telling him that, Paul, can't you see that you are going to die? They said, anybody who goes to this Jerusalem journey that you are trying to go on. The end is death. He said that, oh, Agabus, watch and come. It's a good prophecy you have given. But me, I want to go and die. Because he had had an encounter with a light that shines brighter than the midday sun. And he said that this light told him, let me tell you what I want you to do. Let me show you your will or let me show you my will for your life. And he said, I will follow this will even to the very end. And I want to break this grand theme of doing the will of God into bite sizes for you. Maybe you are thinking about a big thing. I want to tell you that the will of God is progressive. The will of God, it is progressive. You can't just be sitting in your Dufie hostel and say, Father, let me do your will. Let me do your will. Then you start the day. You just do what you want to do. No. Start by bite sizes. For example, Lord, what do you want me to do today? 
and you realize that you begin to appreciate that you have been wasting 24 hours most of the time. Some on Netflix, some at the basketball court, even though you are not supposed to be there, not playing basketball, some at the football field, some going home, even though you shouldn't be in the house, you should be in school. You realize that there are many things you do in the day which is not in line with the will of God for your life. And I'm telling you that the more you keep on doing that thing, the more you keep on following that path, slowly you'll be veering off what God wants you to do. You think Jesus Christ did the will of God because he was the son of God and automatically he just followed it? No. The Bible says that on a daily basis, he took his walk with God seriously. The Bible says in the book of Mark chapter 1 verse 35, which I believe most of us here should know, every day he will wake up, even though his body felt like it's time for me to sleep. And he will go and he will go and pray. In the afternoon, he will be preaching. In the evening, he will be doing all night on a daily basis. But even with all that daily basis, trying to capture the will of God, look at what happened to him in the book of Luke 22. He said, God, I really like this earth place. It's very nice. My ministry is booming. You know, I just started. It's been three years now. When I spit, people, they receive their sight. When I touch bread that is for small children who, who, who are going to school, I steal their lunch and I pray over it. It multiplies. God, the ministry here is nice. I, I, I go and stand in front of the tomb. I tell them, come forth. And they come. Charlie, they are praising me here. In fact, recently, I was going to, 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 to Jerusalem and they gave me their latest car. Everybody even put their dust on the floor and I, and I passed over it. And if Jesus was like many of us pastors in our current day, oh, say, oh, Father, just keep me here on earth. It's, it's a very nice place. I like the cars and everything that they are doing here. It's very good. The way they honor me, hey, the way they treat me, they call me daddy one. Ah. I know that you cry, you, you, are, you are fine. You don't, need, you don't need me to be there. I'll be daddy here on earth while you be daddy in heaven. But the Bible said that Christ took a hard decision and said that, Father, I don't want your I don't want my will. I want your will. I want your will. And I'm saying that it comes by realizing that you take the will of God in a progressive manner. On a daily basis. Find out from God. Father, today as I go to class, what do you want me to do? You realize that sometimes in that class, you have the opportunity to speak to somebody who doesn't know about Christ. But instead of you to speak to that person, because you didn't buy into the will of God for the day, you end up doing something else with the person. Some of you are in relationships that you don't have any business being in because you didn't find out the will of God for the day. Yeah. Some of you are doing certain courses and you are struggling in those courses because you didn't find the will of God for the day. So when you were selecting and you were sitting by that friend, the friend said, Charlie, me, I'll do electrical engineering. You too, as you are sitting by the friend, you know that you and electricals and even engineering, they don't go. But you know that you, yours is computer science. But you say, oh, I'll follow my friend. And it was just a daily decision. And then it began to shift you from the will of God for your life. Maybe you are there. They say, okay, right now, ASC elections are open. We are looking for the new president. Then somebody says, I think you are good for this thing. You say, oh, no, me. You know me, I like to be in the background and you know, I'll be pushing things from the back. And then your friend say, okay, I think it's a good thing. Then you miss that window of opportunity. It just took a day. Then you are fourth year. 
we are graduating. Where is the LC president? It's another person. It's not you. Meanwhile, the light of God was shining on you that this one should have been the president. I can give many examples of how we miss the will of God on a daily basis. And I'm saying that it's a build-up. The more you keep on missing, the more you realize that when you get to the final day, you have missed it entirely. It's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, that we should be careful that we don't drift. We don't drift. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, I believe. And that drifting that he's talking about, it's like a ship on the sea. You know when the ship is on the sea and the ship is not anchored, you realize that when you are standing and you are looking at it, it looks like the ship is in one direction. It has not moved. If you've after gone to maybe like Tema or somewhere close to the sea before and a ship is there or a boat is there, it looks like the boat is not moving. But if you actually look at it carefully, after some time you realize that, ah, the boat has moved away. But your eyes will be telling you that, oh, the thing has not moved. That's the power of the sea. It will just be moving it slowly. In the rocking movements of it, it will just be moving it. It will just be moving it. That's why they use the anchor. The anchor keeps it firm, grounded, so that it doesn't drift. And that anchor is Christ. So on a daily basis, being the sea, moving, if you don't let your anchor be in Christ, you will miss this build-up that we are talking about. So the will of God is progressive. It is not something that, oh, I have gotten everything about all God wants me to do. You know, I know I'm supposed to be. No. You realize that God puts it in you in bite sizes. Bite sizes. Bite sizes. And sometimes you cannot run away from it. Like I was telling um, 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 some people yesterday when we had um, um, the international committee meeting. I was telling them that when I look at my life, if I didn't become a pastor and I became something else, I would have been very surprised. Because on a daily basis, God kept on showing me that Andrew, I have put this seed in you and you must yield to it. In fact, the more I tried to run away from that seed, the more my life was becoming frustrated. The more I ran away from it, oh, I tell you, then the moment I began to accept it, the more things just began to fall in place. And I'm not saying that the moment you come into the will of God, everything becomes rosy. No, I'm not giving you that promise. But you realize that you have an anchor that will keep you firm. So that as the waves are blowing, as it looks like it's a very tumultuous kind of storm, you are fixed. Because you chose to submit to the will of God and not to your own will. So some of you here, maybe you may be in your fourth year, you may be in your third year. I'm telling you that every single day is a build-up to the will of God for your life. Don't jump on a Goldman Sachs opportunity because, oh, after all, it's going to be in Goldman Sachs. Everybody should this is the rational thing to do. Maybe God wants you to start a Pioko business international here in Ghana. But the beauty of that thing is so just go and jump on it. And so I'm telling you that everything you do in your life is a build up to the will of God for your life. Everything you do, it's a build up for the will of God for your life. And so I want to sum it up with another scripture in the book of Daniel chapter 11 verse 32. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. The Bible says in the B portion, it says, But the people who know their God, they shall be strong and they shall carry out great exploits. Great exploits. 
Now, in every verse of scripture or in the scriptures in the Bible, there's a prophetic interpretation to the scripture and there's also the contextual interpretation to the scripture. Then there's also the literal understanding of a scripture. If we take the literal understanding of this scripture, we realize that he says that the people who know their God, that is one action. Then he says that they shall be strong. Then the Bible says that they will now go on to carry out great exploits. So I believe that for us to be able to be in line and manifest our destiny or do the will of God for our lives on a daily basis, it comes with a daily knowing of God. A daily becoming strong so that you can carry out those great exploits that God would have you do. So number one is your knowledge of God. What knowledge do you have about God? The Bible said, Saul said in the book of Acts chapter 9 verse 5, Who are you, Lord? As they were going on the journey, they heard a voice, they saw the light, but they couldn't understand what is going on. It's in the afternoon, it's around 12, the sun is shining, but I'm seeing a light that is greater than the sun. This does not make sense. So Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? Our knowledge of God. What knowledge of God do you have? For you, is God only Jaira? So you don't care about any other thing. Oh, God is my provider. Me, I don't know about you. Me, all I care is that God is my provider. I'm telling you that that knowledge of God is good. It's fine. In fact, it's accurate, but it is limiting. It will give you a very warped mindset as to who God is. So when God is pushing you to the place where maybe he wants you to stand up and fight, you say, no, no, no. God, you are my gyra, so you have to always be providing for me. If I you go and fight for me, so that me I'll stay. No. What knowledge do you have of God? Many of us we have our Sunday school knowledge of God intact. Nothing has been added to it. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Finish. But we have grown over the years. We've developed all the features that we are expected to develop as we are growing. But that song is the only knowledge you have of God. There are some of us here, the only knowledge we have about the scriptures is John 11 verse 35, which says, And Jesus wept. Or maybe if you want to progress, you add John 3.16 to it. For God so loved the world. Give his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or if you want to stretch it, you add verse 17 of the John chapter 3, which says, As I expected. Because what knowledge do you have about God? What knowledge do you have about God? Your knowledge of God is key. To, 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 to your, your success as a child of God. You know, some, somebody posted something on the Zion Impact page at, at church and many people were laughing at it. I found it very, very disgraceful. They asked Muslims and then they asked Christians, quote a scripture, then come and hear the Christians. You know, I, I don't know any verse in the scripture. It's been a long time since I read the Bible here. And they were fine about it. Then they'll ask the Muslim, quote one verse from the Quran. Then they start. Sunnah chapter 1 verse 2. And some of these guys, you know, I said, ah, this guy. 
And everybody was like, oh. you know, nowadays here, we have the Bible on our phone. You don't need to stress yourself and have any knowledge, you know. When they ask you and you don't know it, you just Google it and then you had it. And slowly, we are killing our knowledge of God. So you see, when they are looking for people who can easily accept anything, it's Christians. Anything that comes our way, oh, we gladly accept it. Because we don't have the knowledge of God. I mean, those of you who are in relationships, don't you only, or don't you, don't you always on a daily basis want to know what your boyfriend or your girlfriend likes? I mean, tell us. Those of you who are in relationships, I mean, tell us. Tell us. Just tell us. Tell us. Tell us. When you go to Big Ben, sometimes you have already even ordered for the person. Oh, babes, you know, I already ordered the usual for you. And what separates you from the other lady who is also looking for your boyfriend? It's knowledge of the boyfriend that you have. You have an idea of his preferences, his likes, his dislikes. You know everything about him. But when it comes to God, we don't have any knowledge of God. Some of us, our only knowledge of God is on a Sunday when Reverend Roland comes here to preach about God to us. If he tries, maybe you add maybe one podcast in the course of the, the, the week or something. And so you see that the nature and the makeup of Christians is becoming weaker and weaker on a daily basis. If it was quantitative methods, oh, you will study and know everything about it. But if it is Bible, oh, that one is the work of the pastor. He should be studying the scriptures and all those things. So your limited knowledge of God, it is affecting your understanding of the will of God. You know, Jesus Christ, before he would come into the world, many things had been said in the scriptures about him. But it took a knowledge of the will of God for him to be able to manifest those things. So you see, when he does a miracle, then he quote something from the book of Psalms. Because that was the will of God for his life. And I'm saying that to each and every one of us here, inside the scriptures, there is a particular verse that is only for you. What's your name? Nana Kujo. There's a particular verse. That verse will work only for Nana Kujo. It has been destined for only Nana Kujo. No one else. Anytime Nana Kujo stands on that verse, you realize that he begins to have more knowledge of God. He begins to grow in the will of God for his life. But for many of us, we have closed the Bible. We have closed the word of God. We have closed our mind to the knowledge of God. And right now we want to be liberal. We want to know more things about the world. You know, the world is evolving on a daily basis. So I'm a very cosmopolitan person. I'm always up to date with the trends and the things that are happening. I'm always reading the financial times. I know what is going on in the business space. The new technologies, oh, I'm abreast with it. I know that Apple is trying to be carbon neutral by the year 2030. And so, yeah. And you think that by having that sense, that means that you have achieved what God wants you to do. Then the second aspect of it in the book of Daniel chapter 11 verse 32, he said you be strong. In other words, there's a transformation process that comes from knowledge. So having just that knowledge is not enough. Have you met people who just have knowledge, mental knowledge of things? They are just book smart. Sometimes you look at it and say, ah, boss, this thing you are doing, they'll steal the thing from you. And you say, oh, no, no, I know, I know, you know, I know that this is the right way, this is the right way. But sometimes you have to be street smart too. And that is in the being strong. 
That's where there's a transformation process by the word of God. So the Bible said in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that the word of God should transform your mindset. It should change who you are. Maybe you're somebody you don't believe in speaking to people about Christ. The, mind, the word of God should change that mindset that you have. How does it change that mindset? Maybe you are always shy. God said that I have not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Get up and go and talk to that person. So you realize that somebody who was very quiet, all of a sudden, he can speak to people about God. Why? He's becoming strong. You may look at him and say that, oh, this guy right now is like he's forcing his faith on us. So, no, you are missing it. This person is becoming strong. Maybe other you read the word of God. The word of God said that pray continually. And you say, oh, this thing is impossible. But you begin to give yourself to it. You realize that as you are praying, you realize that you begin to open up. Your spiritual senses are open to God. You can hear more of God clearly. You can see what God is, is doing. The Bible says that you are becoming strong. Because have you seen a weak baby before? Oh, a weak baby. You have to put them in an incubator. They need to be taken care of specially because their, their, their system is not so strong that even the slightest of germs can put them in a bad state. But God said that I don't want you to be in that incubator. I don't want you to always be in the nursery. I want you to grow. I want you to win yourself off milk. I want you to begin to chew strong meat and handle the difficult things or the mysteries of the kingdom. So he says, I want you to become strong. And don't become strong by your own ability, but become strong based on the knowledge of God that you have. Become strong based on the ideas of God that you have in your mind. Then the Bible says eventually in the last portion of Daniel 11.32, and the Bible says that they shall carry out great exploits. They shall carry out great exploits. And you know, when it comes to this great exploits part of the scripture, many of us are thinking about, you know, I'll begin to prophesy. I'll begin to tell people, hey, you, I see the color of your underwear. It's green. And as God is showing it to me, God is telling me, give me one million dollars. They say, oh, that's a great, no, that's not a great exploit. That's, that's, it's part of the package to get into the great exploit. The great exploit is that you've been able to pick somebody up who was in the kingdom of darkness and you have translated them into the kingdom of God's dear son. So the Bible said in the book of Daniel chapter 11 verse 30, I believe it said, the one who wins souls is wise. So it's not just that, okay, I know about God. I know that God is a provider. I know that God is a healer. I know that God is a protector. I know that God is this. Oh, in fact, I've experienced it in my life. Now you are also able to bring it to bear in the life of somebody else. Because imagine if Patrick Ewan had all this idea about Ashesi in his mind and stayed in Seattle, in, in, in Washington. Would you have been sitting here? But he realized that no, this experience that I have in my mind, I want to bring it out so that everybody will be a partaker of it. And he has translated many of us from the kingdom of Ghana Education Service, bad learning. And he has brought us into the kingdom of good learning by this university. And so in the same way, God wants us to carry out great exploits. You are a useless believer if all you can do is to keep your Christianity to yourself. In fact, God doesn't have any, he doesn't have any, you, you are, you, he can't do anything with you. You are a useless believer in the hands of God if he cannot use you to be a blessing to somebody. You know, people say, I want to be like Father Abraham. I want to have the blessings of Abraham. Do you know? 
know that one of the components of the blessing of Abraham was that he will become a blessing. That you will not just have a blessed state, but that that blessing will be flowing to others. And so the Bible said that I want you to carry out great exploits. And these great exploits, they come from number one, your knowledge of God. Number two, the transformation into becoming strong. And then number three, you carrying out great exploits. I want to end on this note in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and then verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and then verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 8. The Bible says that, number one, I have fought the good fight. That means our walk with God or our journey with God and the will of God for our life is like fighting a good fight. In other words, we must be fighters when we come to the kingdom of God. Then number two, he said that I have finished the race. That means as children of God, whatever we are doing, we must realize that we are in a race. You are not in a race with Adam. You are not in a race with Inshira. You are in a race with yourself and who you were yesterday. Then the Bible says that I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. That means our work with God is like a precious jewel. And you have to keep it. You have to guard it with all your heart. I mean, all of us here have mobile phones. You know, so from time to time, we check on the mobile phone. We put it in our pocket. When you fall down, you are not even careful about your body. You want to check if the phone screen cracked on. That's how God wants you to keep your faith. That's how God wants you to keep your faith. Even more. So he said that I have fought the good fight or I have become a strong fighter as a child of God. Then he said that I have finished the race. In other words, whatever God said before me, I have run that course. I didn't change direction. I have run to the finish end. I have been like a Usain, kind, Usain, Usain Bolt and I have stayed in the path that God wants me to be in. Then he said that I have kept that precious faith that God gave me. And he says all of this that he did it was so that he will fulfill the will of God. Then he said that finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So we said in the beginning that God says, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans of good and not of evil. They are to give you a future, give you an expected end. And I'm telling you that that expected end is not going to come by wishful thinking. Yes, there's a place of prayer. You can come, you are always be here. You are praying, you are praying. There involves action. There's action involved in the life of the believer. There's what? Action involved in the life of the believer. So it's not just the mental knowledge, but it's the becoming strong and then the carrying out of the great exploits. So many of us here, we have to have that reset in our minds. We have to click the refresh button in our minds and tell God that, Father, today I want to start on a new note. I've been walking in my own way, walking in my own steps, but today I want to come into what you would have me do. And we need to take that decision while it is day. The Bible said in the book of John chapter 9 verse 4, it said when the night comes, you cannot do that work. So you must do the works of the one who has sent you while it is day. While it is day. While it is day. You want to rise up on your feet? 
You want to place your right hand on your heart. You are telling God that, Father, bring me back into alignment. Bring me back into alignment. Bring me back into alignment. So far as we have life, we have an opportunity to come back into what God would have us do. We are telling God that, Father, bring me back into alignment. You know, one word that we often use in church that many people think is a word for unbelievers is the word repentance. Whenever I say repentance or somebody says repentance, so this one, when you go and do evangelism, then you tell them, repent, come to God. But that word repentance is not for unbelievers. It's actually a word for our walk of faith. Because every day we change our mindset or we reorient our mindset based on the things that God tells us. So repentance is not a word for unbelievers. It is a word also for the believer. And so this morning, the simple prayer we are praying, we are telling God that, Father, reorient my mindset. Realign me. Bring me back in step as to who you've called me to be, where you want me to be, the kind of thing you want me to do. The Bible said that Paul said, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? What would you have me do? Child of God, you want to lift up your voice and just cry out to God passionately. Just tell God that, Father, bring me back. Thank you for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this, share it with someone and be an agent of impactful change for the kingdom of God. God bless you.